Well, what's up, OneChurch.tv? Good to see you. Glad that you all braved the blizzard of 2017, the first one, all that snow we got. Some of y'all aren't going to know what to do with all the eggs and bread and milk that you bought up, but you can make French toast for the rest of the week, so we're glad that you guys are here. Glad you're here. Like, like I said, my name is Carlo. I'm glad I get pastors here and just so excited. Glad to be with you. Today we're continuing our resolution series. Uh, this is the time of the year where people tend to really, really focus on themselves, how to have their life improve, their money improve, their waistline improved, all of that stuff that happens. And traditionally, the result of that is uh, gyms and churches and multi-level marketers who sell health products all see like this increase in, in new attendees or clientele or business because everyone in January is all about getting it in, uh, improving themselves. And come February, you know, it's ghost town in your gym and all that. Hopefully that doesn't happen in the church. Uh, but within like a month, Americans typically give up on all of that stuff. And that's why we're doing this series. We don't want you to give up. We want you to uh, really reconsider how you think about those goals, think about uh, how you start your new year. See, most of the people we look up to are heroes. You know, the people who have holidays named after them. Most people didn't devote themselves to uh, their waistlines. They didn't devote themselves to uh, maxing out their bench press. They didn't devote themselves to building their savings accounts. They devoted themselves to something and someone greater than themselves. And that's why they were great. That's why we know them. They left a legacy because it wasn't all about themselves. Last week, Pastor Chris challenged us to be a part of fixing the things that break God's heart, that break our heart. One of my favorite lines from last week's message was the people who blame things don't change things. So he really challenged us to look for the solution. How can I be a part of the solution? Next week, uh, Pastor Luther is going to challenge us to move from belief to real action. It's one thing to believe something needs to change. It's one thing to believe that people need help. It's a completely different matter altogether to do something with that belief. And so you don't want to miss next week's message. If you missed last week's, you can again go to the onechurch.tv app or go on our website, onechurch.tv, click the watch messages. I challenge you to watch that. Even if you were here, do yourself a favor, watch that message again. It sets the tone uh, for everything. And it's a great talk today. We're going to look at two truths, two parables that are going to connect with one big idea. And we're going to be in Luke 14 and Mark 8. And we'll get there in a little bit. Now, show of hands, how many of you have put up your Christmas decora- decorations? Christmas is packed up. It's put away. It's about half the room. How many of you still have your Christmas decorations up? I know my wife Jamie's here. Our Christmas decorations are still up. We'll get to it eventually. March, maybe. St. Patrick's Day's good time to take it. How many of you are year-round Christmas people? Tell the truth. You keep your lights up all year round. There's no hands. Good. That means we have Christians and good people in the room. Uh, no, I'm just playing. But some people leave them jokers up year-round. They just don't have time for it. My neighbors, they're like decoration fanatics. They have yard decorations and the blow-ups year-round. They have something up there. It's Arbor Day. They've got inflatable trees. You know, they, they just go, they go all in, put up a tank for Veterans Day. I mean, they go all in in their, in their yard. I'm not a fan of the decoration stuff because it means I got to do some work. I've got to dig out some boxes. I've got to crawl over stuff. I don't want to crawl. I have a problem. I, uh, my name is Carlo and I'm a hoarder of boxes. So this is a safe place. Hi. Um, I, I just don't throw boxes away. I bought a VCR in 1990-something. I, I promise you I can find the box and the cables for it. I just I keep that stuff. It's a problem. I know. I'm working on it. Don't judge me. But Christmas means i got to navigate through all that stuff to get out 
the Christmas decorations so that we can set them up and so that we can put them away. I have to go back through all of that stuff. And so every year it's kind of a, not, not really a battle or a war, but it is a little bit of a challenge sometimes. I don't feel like going in there. So Jamie will, Carlo, get the boxes, get the boxes. And, oh, fine, I'll go get it. So this year I said, it's the new me. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to surprise my wife by pulling out all the Christmas decorations before she even has to ask me to do it. I'm going to have it all ready for her. I was like, man, this is it. I'm going to get the, the, the you know, she's going to love it. Big blow up. She's going to think I'm the best in the world. Like, yay me. This is going to be awesome, right, to do this. And, and by me, let me give the caveat is, of course, that means my sons. They're the ones who are going to go do the work. I'm just going to give the orders. But nevertheless, I'm going to take all the credit. Believe me, look at what I did. I ordered those, those boys to do this work. So I get everything pulled out, get it all set up. Jamie comes home from work, sets down her stuff, and then she just commences on with the rest of her evening. Like, didn't even acknowledge that the Christmas decorations were up. Finally, I'm like, hey, did you notice that the stuff's up? And, and, and this is what I got. Yeah, thanks. And she went back about doing what she was doing. And I was crushed, like, man, I did all that work, all that. I didn't do any work. I did all that planning and scheming and, and ordering those two youngsters around to make it happen. And it didn't even happen. And so I said, I'll do the same thing. Now Christmas is over. I'll do the same thing. I'll get everything ready to make it easy for her to put the stuff up. She won't even have to ask me to dig out the boxes. And the same thing happened. I pulled everything out, make it all perfect. And the whole day goes by. She never even noticed that, hey, the stuff's ready whenever you want to pack up the decorations. And that, the second time, I didn't even get a, oh, yeah, thanks. It was, oh, I didn't even notice that stuff was out. So, so there I am trying to get some glory for me and, and get some praise. And, and it blew up in my face both times. She totally ignored all of my hard work. She didn't ignore me. Um, but I was hoping for a much bigger response than a, yeah, that's cool. Thanks. You know, uh, I tried to do it for myself, do something nice with the wrong motive. And all I was left with was a bruised ego. Have you been there? Have you ever served under the guise of I'm doing something for someone else? And if you're really honest, you know you were doing it for yourself. Have you been there? Your silence is betraying you. That means I know that you've been there. The men got really quiet because we know we didn't give that back rub because we were just in the mood to give a back rub, right? You were hoping something would happen and it didn't. And it blew up in your face, right? It never works. If we're honest, a lot of our disappointment from these type of self-serving efforts, they come from the fact that we're not trying to serve ourselves. We're working to get something out of it. And when we work for ourselves, all we end up with every time is going to be disappointment, hurt feelings, emptiness. All we're going to end up with is ourselves. And after a while, we'll get to the place where we don't even serve anymore. We don't even give. We don't even love because we feel frustrated that there's nothing in it for me. Have you ever quit something because you got tired of not being recognized for the work that you were doing? If so, you've got to ask yourself, why was I doing it in the first place? If you're doing it for recognition, it's always going to let you down. Always going to let you down. See, purpose, real purpose, is fine, found just on the other side of what's in it for me. Real purpose, God purpose, divine purpose, it's always found just on the other side of what's in it for me. So the best thing that you could do that I could do has nothing to do with us. So we have to develop this habit of saying no to us so that we can say yes to something and to someone bigger. This series, we've been asking the question, when you die, what's the one thing you want to be remembered for? On your tombstone, I know, I know this for a fact. None of us wants how much weight we lost in 2014 to be the thing everybody remembers us for. 
When we pass away, we don't want our legacy to be that, hey, I saved $1,000 and had an emergency fund. That's good. Do that. But that's not what you want the end of it to be. Hey, I worked out three days out of five for the first time in my life. That's a great accomplishment, but surely there's more to our lives than just those arbitrary goals. The greatest resolution that we can make is to live for more than ourselves. That leaves a legacy of life change. That impacts way more people than just us. And I think too many of us get caught up in the trap of being self-serving, especially when we're followers of Christ. It's easy for church to be all about me, connect small group to be all about me, giving to be what am I going to get out of it, relationships, what am I going to get out of it. It's very easy to do that. But if we give ourselves over to something, to someone bigger than ourselves, something amazing happens. We actually find fulfillment. We find joy. We find peace. And more than that, we get to see the world turned upside down by the love and the power of God. Devotion to God, devotion to Jesus is not about self-improvement. It's about self-denial. It's not about improving me. It's about giving myself away for someone who gave all for me. So our big idea today is this. Devote yourself to more than yourself so you will have more than yourself to show for yourself. You got that? Devote yourself to more than yourself so that when it's all over, you'll have more than yourself to show for yourself. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. In Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25, it'll be on the screen or on the YouVersion app. If you want to pull that up on your phone, you can click events tab, find one church, follow along with the notes there. It says this in verse 25, a large crowd was following Jesus. Now, there were always large crowds that followed Jesus. We think of Jesus, and we know he had these 12 apostles, these 12 guys who followed him. And then there were disciples, which were sometimes 50, 60 other people outside of those 12 who followed him. And then there was always a massive crowd. Sometimes it numbered in the thousands. And everywhere he went, these people followed him. And so a large crowd was following him. It's important for us to know that that crowd was following Jesus, but they weren't really following him. You get what I mean? They were physically moving in the direction he was moving, but they weren't really fully devoted to him yet. They were not disciples yet. And that's important for us, one church, to understand. Some of us, you can sit in this room every single Sunday and trick yourself into thinking that you're really following Jesus when you're really just a part of the crowd. Now, don't get me wrong, we want you to be a part of the crowd. All of us at one time were a part of the crowd, right? Everybody's welcome. We were all part of the crowd, but we want you to take that next step towards devotion, towards discipleship, to really following him. So Jesus says a, large crowd, uh, says a large crowd was following him, and he turned around and said to them, to the crowd, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. So here's the first truth. Devotion will cost you your primary allegiance. Devotion will cost you your primary allegiance. This is one of those passages of Scripture where Jesus has no chill whatsoever. He goes from zero to a thousand just off the bat. Like in the first 24 verses of of Luke 14, Jesus is basically talking about the kingdom of God and how everybody's welcome and nobody's perfect. And we, the, all the messy people, you're going to be invited to sit at this table. And then he flips the script and says, by the way, you can't be my disciple unless you hate everything else in comparison to how you feel about me. Now, some of you, uh, you have no problem hating people, right? Hate hate my brother. That's easy, right? Hate, hate my sister, hate my mother-in-law, right? We, we, some of us, we can get there. That's not what he's saying when he says hate, right? 
Because that would run contrary to the rest of Scripture. Why would he tell us to love our enemies and then tell us to hate people? So this is, when he says hate, that the original language there, it means loveless. It means if you love anything more than you love me, you're not willing to be my disciple. Mom, if you put your kids above your relationship with Jesus, he's saying, you're not really my disciple. Dad, if you put your job before, American, if you put your flag before your devotion to me, are you really my disciple? He's not saying you can't love your flag or your job or your kids. He's saying you got to love me more. You with me? So that's what he's calling us to. It's not a hate like mean. It's it's to love less. Devotion includes love and loyalty and enthusiasm. So what he's telling his disciples and what he's saying to us is that if we are devoted to anything more than we're devoted to him, we cannot really be his disciples. That's a tough pill to swallow. I told you he has no chill, but I didn't say these words. Jesus said them. So we got to deal with that. See, Jesus has to be the center of our lives. Some people, you ever heard that like hierarchy you should have in your life? God first, family second, others third. You've heard those kind of things. That sounds good, but I don't like it because it doesn't work. It sounds good in theory, but it doesn't work because there are some seasons of your life where work may have to come before family because ultimately it's going to help your family. Makes sense? If you're a soldier, you know what that's like. You get deployed, you go down range. As much as you want to stay home, duty first, I have to go do that. When you're in the military, you may want to go to a worship service, right? I'm going to put God first, but guess what? You might be on a mission. So in that season, duty has to come first, and God understands that. So instead of getting caught up in that hierarchy, I think a better way for us to look at it is to have Jesus be the center of our lives. If Jesus is the center of my life, then the whole world revolves around him. My whole world revolves around him. And he touches and influences every other area of my life. My work, my family, my job, my attitude, everything, because he stays at the center of it. That's what devotion really is. That's what being a disciple really is. is Christ and his ways and his principle are the center of my life. It's the filter through which everything I say and do passes. That's what Jesus is calling people to when he says, you got to hate all that stuff if you're going to follow me. In verse 27, he says, and if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. So the first truth is that devotion will cost us our allegiance, our, our deepest allegiance. Truth number two is devotion will cost you your comfort. Devotion will cost you your comfort. We love as Christians to quote the carry the cross, take up my cross stuff, but we really don't do it because it's uncomfortable. It's painful. We do care. I know a lot of people who carry crosses. They carry the cross of pride. If it wasn't for me, this thing wouldn't even exist. You know, they carry the look at what I've done, my accomplishments. They carry the cross of victimization. No one respects me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Why don't I go eat worms, right? Life is terrible. Always someone else's fault for the predicament they're in. Some of us carry the cross of negativity. You know the one, right? Always has something negative to say of why something won't work, why you won't accomplish this. Always critical. Can't say a good word without saying 10 negative words. If you don't know who that person is, it's probably you. Just letting you know, right? We, we, we carry those other crosses. And here's the thing. I can't be a fully devoted follower of Christ and carry those other crosses because they're too heavy. They slow me down. They trip me up. What God asks us to do is to cast that junk down and carry his cross. His burden is easy. His yoke is light. The Bible tells us we, we carry the cross of Christ that says, man, I may not be perfect, but God is still working on me. <laughs> He's with me. He's going to help me. I may not be recognized, but God sees me. 
That's what we do when we carry his cross. It's not comfortable carrying a cross. When Jesus told this original crowd to carry the cross, they did not picture your iced out necklace cross, right? They didn't picture your little tattoo you got when you were 25 of a cross on on your calf, right? They didn't picture that. They looked right there and saw the Roman instrument of death on the side of the road that someone had just been taken off of. And instantly they realized, whoa, following Jesus is a big deal. And it may be painful. For us today, the cross symbolizes us dying to our old self. It's the tombstone to who we used to be. It's dying to ourself daily. It's a monument to our new lives of devotion in Christ. And when we follow him, we're following him on a journey that will, say will, it will cost you your comfort. It will take you places that you don't want to go. It will make you get out of your comfort zone. That's what following Jesus is. It can't be all about you. Well, I don't like to talk to people. Man, you said yes to Jesus. This is the people game that we're in, right? (laughs) You're going to have to talk to people, interact with people, love people, serve people. Some of you who do not like the cold weather, you got out of your comfort zone, didn't you? You got out of that nice warm bed. You got into your car that probably didn't start. I know one of mine didn't start this morning. And you got out there and you jumped it and you came all the way here in the cold. You got out of your comfort zone. You came into this room. All of that stuff is that taking up my cross daily. I'm going to serve him. I really don't want to talk to this this person, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. Devotion will cost you your allegiance. Devotion will cost you your comfort, but devotion is worth it. It's absolutely worth it. A. Robertson, he says, salvation means coming to Christ, excuse me, coming to the cross and trusting Jesus Christ, while discipleship means carrying the cross and following Jesus. See the difference? Discipleship means giving one's first loyalty. So I told you we're going to look at two truths and two parables. Let's look at the first parable. Let's keep reading in Luke 14, 28. Jesus says this, but don't begin. So don't begin what? Remember, he said, count the cost. So don't be, uh, carry the cross. He says, don't begin carrying your cross. Don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't finish it. Count the cost. The Marble Hill nuclear power plant in Indiana was started in 1977. And for about seven years, it was on track to be like the premier power plant, nuclear power plant, cornerstone of the nuclear industry in the 70s. About 1984, after the company sunk about $2.5 billion, with a B, billion dollars into getting the reactors to the halfway point. Two and a half billion dollars just to get it halfway. They realized uh, we can't afford to continue this, so they just abandoned everything. They sold what they could sell for a few million with an M. So they lost tons of money, and the plant's been sitting half-finished ever since. Talk about embarrassing, right? Talk about wasteful. In this parable, Jesus is not suggesting that we do not follow him. He's not suggesting that you don't start. He's saying, if you start and then stop because you didn't really count the cost, you are a fool. You're acting like a fool. If you say yes to Jesus and don't understand what that really means, he's saying, that's kind of foolish. Why did you do that? It's like starting a building without thinking about the cost. It's going to cost you comfort. It's going to cost you your first allegiance, but it's worth it worth it. And here's the awesome news in Philippians 1, 6 says this. Paul says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work 
until it is finally finished. The awesome news is that God begins this work in us, and he has counted the cost. He gave the, the, the ultimate price in Jesus. He gave the ultimate price for us, so he, he saves us and he keeps us. Our part is to be fully devoted between the saving and the keeping. That means we got to count the cost. God saves us, and it's awesome. We have to devote ourselves to more than ourselves. So here's the second parable, Jesus says in, in verse 31. Keep reading Luke 14. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far off. So with Fort Campbell being right here in our backyard, home to many special operators, many of us are familiar with the story of the Battle of Mogadishu in Somalia, right? If you're not familiar with that story, here's the Cliff Notes version. You ready? 1993, Somalia, Army Special Operations Forces, Somali warlords, a routine mission that was supposed to take about an hour, ends up lasting over 24 hours, and results in the death of 18 highly trained U.S. Army soldiers and about 800 to 1,000 low-estimate Somalis killed in this battle. There are so many lessons. I could teach a sermon series just on the battle of Mogadishu. So many lessons to learn from that. But I think one of the biggest lessons we learn from that story is the concept of counting the cost and being prepared. Counting the cost and being prepared. You can never really be too prepared for a fight. Now, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, then your plan goes out the window, right? But here's the thing. Uh, We say this all the time. No one rises to the occasion. We we default to our lowest level of training, our lowest level of preparation. There's no such thing as a hero. No one rises to the occasion. We default back to what we know. And this is very true when it comes to following Jesus. If our gut instinct is to cut ties and bail when trouble comes, that's what's going to happen time and time again in our spiritual journey until we count the cost and realize Trouble, conflict may come. In fact, it will come, and I have a source of strength and hope in Jesus. So we develop the the memory to run to him, and it helps everything changes. In this battle uh, of Mogadishu, people left behind very important equipment that they were trained to use. Extra ammo, night vision goggles, extra water, armor plating. Things that they had trained to use, they left it behind. Why? Eh, It's only going to take an hour. Maybe they got a little complacent. Ah, we do this all the time, and they left it. There is no suck like being thirsty and knowing you got a full canteen sitting on your cot back at the fob. You know what I'm talking about? There is no agony worse than knowing, man, I left my good shoes back there, and I really wish I had them right now. I left my night vision goggles because I didn't think I need them, and now it's nighttime and people are shooting at me. I wish I'd have prepared. I wish I'd have counted the cost. What does the battle of Mogadishu have to do with devotion to Christ? Devotion to Jesus is not an invitation to a cozy church picnic. When we say yes to Jesus, it's not all about fried chicken and lemon cake and potlucks and hanging out with good people who are always smiling and offering me free coffee, right? There is a lot more to following Jesus than free coffee and donuts on Sundays. That's good stuff. But there's so much more to it than that. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying no to a real enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy and wreck our lives. And up until we say yes to Jesus, that that enemy really doesn't bother us. He really doesn't mess with us. When we say yes to Jesus, it's like hell truly comes against us. The good news is we win. 
If God's on my side, nothing could be against me, right? So I have hope and confidence. I'm not fearful, but we have to count the cost. And that's why Jesus told these people, you want to follow me because it looks good, but I'm telling you it's tough. You better count the cost. He wants us to engage in relationship with him so that we engage in this spiritual battle intelligently and not naively, thinking it's just going to all be kumbaya all the time. Full devotion is going to be tough. But when we have Jesus on our side, we make it every time. Luke 14, Jesus says again, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Two truths and two parables. Devotion will cost you your primary allegiance. Devotion will cost you your comfort and it's worth it. But listen, as long as I am about me, I can't live for something more than me. So as long as my relationship with Jesus is all about what I get out of it, I can't live for more than him. I need to devote myself to more than myself. So where are you at with this? Do you serve God out of the discipline of duty because you have to or this desire to be fully devoted? It's a, it's a wonderful thing. This discipline is not a bad thing, but it's a wonderful thing when we realize that we get to serve God. We get to follow him. I don't have to come to church. I don't have to be in a small group. I don't have to give an offering. I don't have to do those things. I get to do them, and it completely shifts when we have that change in our mind, change in our attitude. I get to know you. I get to preach the Bible. I get to teach people. I get to counsel couples. I get to do all those things. It's a privilege. It's an honor that we get to do it. That's what devotion is all about. Changing from the I have to to I get to. Because devotion transcends feelings. Sometimes we don't feel like doing the right thing, right? I don't feel like going to church every day. I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like talking to these people. I don't, sometimes we don't feel like it, but when I'm devoted, it transcends the feeling and causes me to do the right thing anyway. Mom, you don't feel like getting up at 3 a.m. and dealing with your kid. He's puking his guts out on the floor, right? But you do it without thinking about it because you're devoted to that child. You love them. You care about them. You want what's best for them. And so you're devoted and you get up and you do it. Devotion is what gets us through the tough times. Devotion is what gets us through the struggle when we don't want to make it. We get to serve him. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says this in verse 34, calling the crowd to his disciples, Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way Take up your cross and follow me. Sound familiar, right? Verse 35, he says, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. Many of us have a death grip on our life, our way, our will, our preferences, what I want. And we're holding on to it so tightly, we don't realize there's no room for God to pour into us because we're so attached to what we want in our way and our style. And Jesus is saying, you can't follow me. You can't hold closely to me while holding closely to all the things that you want. Give all that stuff up and follow him. Devotion to Jesus isn't about self-improvement. It's about self-denial. God, I really want this job, but I want your will more. God, I really want to be in this relationship, but what would you have me to do? God, I really want to go to that church, but this is where you've called me to be. It's, it's letting go of what I want and saying, God, what would you have me to do? Devote yourself to more than yourself so that at the end, you have more than yourself to show for yourself. What are we, one church, fully devoted to? Our space, our style, our preferences. That's all small stuff. I think when we're fully devoted to 
the mission of God into his people and to each other. That's how we really impact the city. That's how we really see change happen when we give ourselves away to the cause of others. God's will for us is to be fully devoted, all in, following him. See, the gospel is free. That's the good news, right? I'm saved by grace. He saves me. There's nothing I can do to earn that. He gives it to me. But discipleship, actually following Jesus, participating in biblical community, and living out this salvation that I claim, it is very expensive. Do you know what it costs? It costs you your time, your attitude, your ego, your comfort, and yes, your stuff. But it's worth it when we give that up. We've looked at two truths, two parables that connect with that big idea. Let let me land the plane and practically just give you two things that you can practically do to devote yourself to more than yourself. Here's, Here's the first step. Communicate with God regularly through daily prayer. I cannot tell Jamie Serrano that I'm devoted to her if I never talk to her. I can't tell my wife that I'm really devoted to her if I only talk to her once a week on Sunday to say, what's up? You're good. You're awesome. Oh, 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 like the song says, right? Sing those lyrics. God, you're awesome. Yeah, you're good. Clap, clap, clap. And that's the last time I talked to her. Is that devotion? I didn't think so, right? I have to talk to her every day in good and bad when I have something to say, when I don't have something to say because we're in relationship. So devotion means I have to talk. So talk to God daily. Every day, communicate with God. What is prayer? That's what it is. It's communication with God. And when you pray, not only get your spirit in tune with God, it opens you up to God's will and the ways of God. Are you struggling with a person, with a relationship? I can tell you it's very hard to hate somebody and pray for them at the same time. It's very hard to be angry towards someone and pray for them at the same time. Something happens when I say, that's why Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute. Something changes in your heart when you start talking to God, when you bring God into the equation. A lot of people don't pray regularly because they just don't know how. Correction, they say that they don't know how. Do you know how to talk? Say yes. You know how to pray. Here's the prayer. Hey God, what's up? You're awesome. I'm not. Thanks for saving me. Help me. I want to see people like you see them. Amen. Was that five minutes? No, it wasn't five minutes. Some of y'all are math challenged. Y'all were actually thinking, was that five? Wait a minute, how long was it? Wake up. No, that wasn't five minutes. 15-second prayer, if done sincerely, is life-changing. One of my most effective prayers in my life is, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Many a fool has not been choked out because I have said, Lord, help me in my time of anger. Some of y'all are laughing too hard because you might be that fool. I'm just saying, seriously, God, help me. God, give me strength. Lord, help. When we get in a regular habit of talking to him, didn't I tell you no one rises to the occasion, right? If I develop the muscle memory of calling out to God, devoted to him, I talk to him daily. It's what's going to sustain me. So I challenge you this week, next seven days, try to pray five minutes a day. Talk to God five minutes a day. It might be five minutes that sound like a Keith Sweat record, right? Begging, Lord, please help me. God, please, please, please. Begging on your knees. God, I'm, I'm down on my knees asking you, help me. Please. It could be one of those. It could be five minutes of, hey, God, you're awesome. It could be five minutes of all the adjectives describing how cool and great and wonderful and glorious and mighty. I don't care. Five minutes, I'm telling you to change your life. That's just a starting point, but it's better than nothing. Communicate with God daily through prayer. And then, number two, act like Christ every day through one act of devotion. Choose to act like Jesus. I'm going to devote myself to more than myself. That means I'm going to 
be nice to the person I don't want to be nice to. I'm going to pray for the person causing me the most trouble. I'm going to encourage my friend who I know is going through a hard time. The, the food that you might donate practically to Mana Cafe or the time you may donate to volunteer. The, the friend you know who's hurting and they're struggling and so you pray for them. You, you step all those things where you support people with words and deeds. Those are practical acts of devotion that you and I can take right now to live this thing out. See, Clarksville doesn't need more church programs. OneChurch.tv doesn't need more church programs. We need fully devoted followers of Christ. That's how we change the world. One life at a time, one person at a time, fully committed to, I'm going to live this thing out. Every day, I'm just going to choose to respond like Jesus. I'm going to communicate with God, and I'm going to choose to respond like him. That is how we change the world. Purpose is found on the other side of what's in it for me. The best thing that I can do, that you can do, has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with someone else. So let's say no to what we want so that we can say yes to something so much bigger. Devote yourself to more than yourself so that you'll have more than yourself to show for yourself. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the power of your word to save us and to make us brand new. Help every single person in this room, God, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. For some, that means taking the next step of saying yes to you, of recognizing they're in need of saving and you're the Savior. And so they say in their own way, God, save me, help me, forgive me. And I know you do what only you do. You show up and God, you save them mightily. Thank you for that. Help us every day to live out our devotion to you. Change our attitudes from I have to to I get to. And God, we know through the power of your spirit, you'll help us to change the world, to change this city. I pray that we would take all of our resolutions, all of our goals, all the things we want to do in 2017, God, and we would lay those down and we would trust in you more than ever before. I thank you for your power to save and to bring life change. And I thank you for calling us to onechurch.tv that many people could come to know you. I'm believing God for great things, people being changed, baptisms, God, new work being started, ministry happening, all because your people are fully devoted to you. Thank you for showing your love for us. Help us to give it back every day by giving all of ourselves to you and to your cause. We love you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.